Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, welcome to A Good Football Show. I am Matt Straup, and today we're going to be hitting some recent news, including a Cam Akers-related development, plus we'll be talking rankings outliers, some players that these guys are higher on or lower on than consensus, and when I say these guys, I mean John Daigle, Pat Darty, and Denny Carter, who, if you believe what you read on Twitter, Denny, has recently been having a bit of a fracas, if I could use that word, with some cicadas. Denny, would you care to explain what's going on here? I would care to explain, because I've entered just complete old man meltdown uh, season with cicadas. Um, you know, they're not going away anytime soon, apparently. In fact, they're more this prevalent This is their eastern seaboard now. Yes, yeah, it, it is. And, and, and apparently you can see it on, on radar. You know, you can see masses of cicadas on, on, on radar. Anyway, uh, they're um, so they pee. Yeah. What? What a revelation! I did not realize this. And what happens is you're 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 sitting by your brother-in-law's pool, uh, enjoying a nice uh, weekend uh, afternoon, and and uh, suddenly and you feel a, ni- a nice mist. Oh, that's refre- That's refreshing. What? What is <laughs> brother-in-law? What? What is that? Oh, that's the cicadas pissing all over you. <laughs> Uh, okay. Think, yeah. I, I've been told my life is a cartoon. I think yours is literally a cartoon. I, I, I mean, you know, I, unlike I, I guess mine is is in one place rather than you know yours is spread across the country. Sure, Your cartoon yeah. is spread across the country. But but yeah, no, the the cicadas are getting on my nerves. Also, one one more complaint. As long as we're on the cicadas, when I'm walking with my children in the neighborhood and yeah. I see two cicadas on the ground mating. <laughs> Like it's Woodstock, okay? Uh, 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 um, what am I? How can I? How am I supposed to explain that to my kids? Uh, you know, yeah. what are they doing, Dad? They're mating. What's mating? You know, and then where where do you go oh, from, yeah. from there? Yeah, so. yeah, you're down a long, long road there. It's tough. I will say, there. I'm starting to think back on a few random raindrops on a relatively nice day. <laughs> I'm starting to think may not have been raindrops. It's gross. It's so gross. <laughs> the fact that you feel it, the, the mist on your face. It's, yeah, it's uncalled for. You know, it's not that we, well, we don't deserve this. That doesn't happen. Close with, your mouth. In Missouri, we have the much more tasteful 13 year cycle of cicadas. We don't have the 17 year, <laughs> the debauched 17 year cicadas. <laughs> they are. Those extra Wait. four years just make them feel so cooped up and they're peeing everywhere. They're mating everywhere. 
17 years in the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And then how long do we think they live for? Like they just come out to pee on Denny once every 17 years and then they're alive for how long? Not long. Uh, in fact, some of them will emerge from the ground and immediately run into an oncoming car. <laughs> you know, all, all that work to be to become, you know, splattered on, on a, you know, yeah. on the windshield of a, of a 97 Civic. It's tragic. You know, there's oh some God. cicadas that has never come out, by the way. And really? Like, Screw this. I'm just staying in the ground. Whatever. 17-year yeah, plan? I'm going 21. Danny, I will say, so there has been talk, you know, of you eating a cicada mountain um, on Twitter. <laughs> And it's not what you think. We're not just putting like cicadas on a regular Arby's meat mountain. Right. But you know how, so like, you know how sometimes there are special buns? We're working yeah. to make buns made out of ground up cicadas. And that okay. would be the bun to your meat mountain. And this is how you would have the Arby's uh, cicada mountain sandwich. Do well, we you know-, know if they taste like crickets? Like, do we have any idea what they actually taste like? Anyone? I've never tasted it. Denny's pretending that he hasn't eaten a cicada, but just come on, just lay it on us. What do they taste? I mean, I've had crickets and that's no big deal. They're just crispy, whatever. But um, a cicada, I don't know. It seems larger than a cricket. It is. It is crunchy. I can tell you that. And and the reason I know that is because my my dog, Ziggy, uh, has crunchy boys every morning on our walk. You know, he he finds them. Here's the thing. He doesn't eat the dead ones. He's very picky. Doesn't eat the, the carcasses. He goes for the live ones, the ones that are struggling for life. They're scrambling to get away from him. He pins them down. He eats them. They're very crunchy. He likes a steak rare. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're going to talk rankings outliers in a bit, but first some recent news to hit, and we'll start with the LA Rams, where Pat's fifth favorite coach, according to his recent rankings, Sean McVay, said there are no limitations on how the team can use running back Cam Akers. Pat, I know you are high on Akers, maybe even more high on Akers than you are on McVay. So what do you make of this recent word out of Rams camp? Just that it's not surprising. I mean, a team that was out of offensive answers last year, you know, handed its whole attack over to this guy, basically, and like let him take over. I gave him the opportunity to take over and then watched him take over, like successfully do it. You know, despite the fact that teams were not respecting Jared Goff at all by the end of last season, and Cam Akers faced loaded boxes on 38% of his snaps. That was the fourth highest rate in the NFL, and he 
still emerged with a couple of like, I keep using this comparison, but he emerged with like a couple of Adrian Peterson S games, you know, like 160 yard games where he's making like long punishing runs, just like dragging people. And so it's just not surprising that he, Sean McVay came away super impressed. Uh, it's not surprising. That he's talking about like no limitations in an offense, you know, where he's going to have much more room to operate with defenses mm. actually having to respect Matthew Stafford like give the Rams much more respect in the passing game, respect that was just disappearing last year. And Cam Akers didn't prove a ton as a pass catcher as a rookie at only 11 receptions. I mean, that could easily triple this year. And just as a coach who witnessed a running back do that, like an unideal offensive environment last year, knowing the environment's going to be so much better this year, I'm not surprised that we're getting very glowing uh, McVay quotes. That RB7 through RB15 range, what has been dubbed the RB dead zone that no one can tell me who actually created that label for it at all uh, is where Cam Akers falls. And I have him ranked atop that range. If you go to my RB tiers on the site, he has my RB8 overall. And it's not just because he played his entire rookie year as a 21-year-old, got drafted at 20 last season, but also the fact that the Rams are projected with the league's easiest rushing schedule this upcoming year. And it just logically fits as an offense with Matthew Stafford that's going to use every inch of the field, which they couldn't do with Jerry. Golf because as defenses got more film on Sean McFay's 99% 11 personnel rate, uh, Sean McFay could alter and adjust all he wanted to, but golf could not. So it just seems like this is going to be a much more potent and explosive offense we need every piece of. And so to now know that McFay, that's how he views Acres this upcoming year, knowing that even the short yardage role is available now that Malcolm Brown's out of town, that makes me very high on him. Uh, you know, McVeigh talked about the limitations or the lack of limitations in regard to uh, Acres used as a as a pass catcher. Now, this time of year, we all know every running back, every starting running back is going to see 120 targets and catch 88 balls. Okay, every, everyone <laughs> says that, but that, that's that's not the case. Uh, but you know, last year the Rams had the third fewest uh, running back receptions, and that is not the way that McVeigh's you know peak offense operated with Todd Gurley, uh, you know, Gurley um, topped out at 87 targets in 2017 in McVay's system. So, you know, I, I'm sure with, with Stafford, with a, a bigger arm quarterback um, with the other weapons they have in that offense uh, that they would like to get back uh, to that model where the running back is, is part of the uh, passing game. So I, I'm not projecting 87 targets for, for Cam Akers, but you know, he only had, I think, 14 last year. We we could, like like Pat said, I think a minute ago, more. We, could see, we could see that triple, uh, quadruple maybe. My my only, so I'm like all in on Cam Akers. The only room for pause I might have is that, so Sean McVay now with the Rams has had success with both backfield models, like the true bell cow and Todd Gurley, and then more with like the committee two-back approach. And like Daryl Henderson is good enough to be a part of a committee. So there's like a chance that they do keep Daryl Henderson pretty involved as a change of pace and third down back. But even if that were the case, I don't really see, I I just don't see how Cam Akers isn't going to be an RB one this season. Andy Fitz, correct and proper roster construction if you're trying to get four or five wide receivers as so many people Mike Leone, Denny, Jack Miller are writing about before the seventh round because if you're using that anchor running back strategy and you're waiting it can be Joe Mixon or Cam Akers in that one RB spot you have that makes a lot of sense. All right, meanwhile, we've had a number of recent developments slash storylines from the Jets offense. Daigle, did you want to rattle those off real quick for us? 
<clears throat> yeah, they're not so exciting, so you don't have to stop me if no one wants to talk about it. But there is a lot going on at Jets camp, which is why I just decided to text you, hey, Jets offense, let's just run down the list. Because Jameson Crowder disgruntled with his contract because the team wants him to take a pay cut, knowing they can save $10.3 million on the final year of his contract if they just outright cut him. And they have Elijah Moore, who, another news tidbit, is apparently the best player at Jets OTAs altogether right now. Not to mention that Tevin Coleman apparently has a leg up per reports as starting in that backfield, even though we know they're going to use uh, their main three guys. And Denzel Mims is working with the second string offense, despite the fact that every receiver is there. Denzel Mims is playing behind Keelan Cole in 11 personnel, which I think is the biggest takeaway. And I will probably knock him down a full tier, if not two, the moment I get off this podcast in my wide receiver <laughs> tiers. So if anyone has any thoughts on the Jets offense <laughs> and which players to target, I would love to hear it. One of Denzel Mims, one of Pat's guys, the last time we did yeah, this, right? Pat, are you rattled here? Your, your earth is shaking. He's apparently just not a fit for the, the yak attack, which they're supposedly cloning from San Francisco, and like they don't want to take downfield shots through a downfield dominator. And Denzel Mims, that's their loss. Um, it's true. My only take, real takeaway from all this is to Tevin Coleman, just don't do it, folks. <laughs> we don't have to. If Kyle Shanahan quit Tevin Coleman, <laughs> letting him walk in free agency, you know, deciding last, essentially mothballing him last year, a, a player, you know, he handpicked in Atlanta and like kind of worked in Atlanta, but just did not work in San Francisco. Like if Kyle Shanahan moved on from Tevin Coleman, like his like uh, his coaching tree, like the Shanny Juniors in New York, are not going to have any more success with Tevin Coleman. And just that I would ignore any Tevin Coleman buzz uh, whatsoever. All right. Listen, I, I, oh, I'm no. I knew this was coming. <laughs> Wait a second. Oh, boy. Let's pump the brake. I'm going to play devil's advocate because the devil always needs an advocate, uh, as we as we know, as, we, as so. we've as we've learned on the Internet, you know, which is which is basically my mentions all day. Um, it, Michael Carter's going at RB 31, which I think is still a reasonable uh, redraft price. Tevin Coleman's going at RB 56. Uh, Way af- too high. After uh, Tuba Hubbard, after Tariq Cohen. Okay, now I know he's missed 10, I think 10 or 11 games the past two seasons. He has injury history, all that. I get it. But, you know, if you want to take a late round swing on a guy who could just kind of stumble into a starting job, even if we don't like it, look, I want Michael Carter to be the starter, you know, and, 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 and I, and I find myself targeting him in, in a lot of best ball drafts. I, so I get it. I get the appeal of Michael Carter, but I, but I am also saying that if Tevin Coleman's going to be their guy, you know, you, you, he doesn't cost that much. He's RB 56. And it's the ADP. Yeah, I've already figured out your process, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Just basically don't overdraft or don't draft the first running back in a three-headed backfield, which logically makes a lot of sense. And I can actually, at his ADP, I was going to say this too, but I knew you were going to say it, so I was going to leave it to you. Thank you you for falling on the sword for me. Mm -hmm. I can kind of get behind Tevin Coleman if you're doing zero RB. I mean, I've been taking in the times that zero RB works – which I know you would say is every time, uh, Gio Bernard, James White, uh, yeah. Wayne Gallman. So like Tevin Coleman would not be the worst player I've taken this off. Yeah, right. And I, I will say Gio Bernard's <laughs> going right around that that spot. I mm-hmm. much prefer Bernard over Coleman. I was going to say, I much, much prefer Giovanni Bernard, who is could be just the James White, yeah. Tom Brady. Yeah. And Gio Bernard, embarrassing on the ground the past three years, but has remained very respectable as a pass sure. catcher. 
Pat, you look like you're having a hard time sitting still while Denny was talking up Tevin Coleman. <laughs> I have a hard time sitting still just in general, but just beyond all that too. I mean, he had the high ankle sprain in 2019. Right. He was like injured all last year. Like the guy is just, uh, he's just basically done, which means we're going to say now we might as well like a segue into our Sammy Watkins. Uh, Cause like Sammy Watkins is the Tevin Coleman of wide receivers and Tevin Coleman is the Sammy Watkins. Of yeah, you're right about that. All right. Well, the Cowboys, meanwhile, are hopeful that Amari Cooper, after an ankle procedure, will be ready for the start of training camp. Denny, is there any concern for you here whatsoever? Anything to see when it comes to this news? Um, well, as as someone who really, really loves his ADP, yep. I kind of hope it maybe this news kind of makes him slip a little bit. It would make me feel a little more comfortable with. Denny really wants someone to stay hurt so he getting, gets a draft value. <laughs> God, you're a sick <laughs> human being. You're you're brutally correct, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, it gives me a, a little pause. Like I, we have to keep an eye on it, you know. And obviously, that's our job. We're going to be doing that. But wow, like uh, the the fact that McCarthy really couldn't commit to Amari Cooper being fully healthy for the start of training camp gives me just gives me slight slight pause it also makes me a little more bullish on michael gallup and this by the way injury is the same cleanup procedure he had at the end of december after week 17 so right. basically by training camp it'll be seven months for a cleanup procedure that he may not be recovered from that's not supposed to be serious and yet that's a pretty serious timeline that he's dealing with that's my concern I'm with Denny. I think you should just be higher on Gallup anyways. At OTAs, we've seen that both him and CeeDee Lamb are working around the formation, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but they were not allotted that opportunity last year. Gallup stuck on the outside for 93% of his routes. CeeDee Lamb was in the slot for 93% of his routes. They didn't move around the formation at all. So whether Cooper's there or not, I just think we should be higher on those two players anyhow. And remember, Gallup, small sample, of course, played for – played those four full games with Dak Prescott and did actually spike a top 10 finish was a wide receiver one and one of those four. And if you get that, especially in best ball, you totally take that as current ADP as a wide receiver four. I'll just make it by the way, excellent point on the other Cowboys receivers, but I'll just make it three for three on like concern for Amari Cooper, which, you know, isn't that useful of us to say, cause it's just nebulous. The saying we're concerned, but uh, it was You'd be forgiven if you'd forgotten Amari Cooper had ankle surgery or had an ankle injury because it was the days after the season. The the NFL Network Ian Rappaport report was it required minimal rehabilitation. <laughs> and to go from minimal rehabilitation days after the season to maybe not ready for training camp definitely suggests some sort of setback or just that they weren't honest about the nature of the operation. But more more than likely, probably some sort of setback. But we have concern, but it's like we don't have nearly enough to go on. It's like there's not enough to be actionable. It's like I, basically I would just still keep Amari Cooper at his current ADP, but someone where you have to be like on the lookout then for, for more information, which we might not get more information until training camp starts and they have to make a move, like put him on the active pup list or something, which probably will happen and won't necessarily mean it's a serious injury. Uh, but definitely want you to just keep your antenna up on Amari Cooper at this point. Backtracking to what Denny said a minute ago about Cooper's injury and his ADP. Was it last week or week before Denny said the phrase, the good thing about his injury? Yeah. I think that was, wasn't that you, Denny? You seem to make that a weekly thing. I'm being exposed, I think, is is what's (laughs) happening on this podcast. He's rooting for injuries, talking about his dog eating cicadas alive. He's a depraved human being. Great, great hire, Pat. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Uh, one more bit of wide receiver news. Calvin Ridley is not practicing during Falcons minicamp after reportedly go- undergoing a foot procedure himself. Did anyone want to comment on this one? What, Daigle, was there any... This one feel different for you than Cooper, or does this feel like a similar thing where we should be paying attention to this? It seems like Pat's scenario of just having your antenna up. This one I'm less concerned about than Amari Cooper because this one was more recent, and it seems like he will be ready by training camp. Didn't seem like a significant setback at all, whereas Cooper's, like we talked about, has been seven months. So this one I'm not too worried about. But that sort of brings us into our next discussion as well, unless someone has another opinion and is actually like dodging Calvin Ridley all of a sudden. No. Well, no, I, I mean, I will say, I will say though, we do have to remember there were, he did have some foot tweaks last year. Yes. And he yeah. did have, he did battle a foot issue during the season. So, I mean, I think, I don't, I don't know, my radar's up a little bit as a guy who's super high on Calvin Ridley. And you don't, and you don't ever like to learn of like late breaking injuries. I guess, do we even know like when the surgery was? Like, it'd be strange. It is always concerning when a player like goes through the offseason trying to rehab and at a certain point realizes like the rehab isn't working and they need surgery. It's like those are times a lot of times where like a player like will like never get over the hump, like kind of like, like an Andrew Luck type situation. And all I'll say is uh, like Amari Cooper on our Calvin Ridley update, we have NFL Network's Ian Rappaport describing the procedure as minor. Yes. Um, I so, believe it was said it was two, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so to me, that is a little concerning actually, because he clearly, he spent five months trying to rehab the injury mm-hmm. and then it didn't rehab properly. So then he underwent surgery, but like we haven't heard like the word list Frank, which is you know the dreaded, oh. we haven't heard Jones fracture that, and he doesn't have that kind of timeline. So it's probably not, it's another situation where like, if I'm drafting today, I'm still comfortable drafting Calvin Ridley as if he'll be healthy well in advance of week one. You know, Matt, what you were saying uh, about, Ridley struggling with a, a foot and ankle issues. He was uh, held out of practice throughout the second half of the season. It was um, always a, a thing where we were watching his Friday practice status, hoping that he would get in a partial practice just so we would know he would go on Sunday. Uh, so yeah, that th- and that thing lingered, lingered for a long time. I know. And I, uh, by the way, I know this is off the agenda and I'm sorry, but I, I, I feel like it fits into our conversation about lingering injuries. Antonio Gibson's comments about, <laughs> his toe are very concerning. Not great. He, he's talking about, you know, being on a program to, to make sure he doesn't, you know, re-aggravate the injury. The fact that he didn't, he did not have surgery, but it kind of sounded like he, like he thought about it or someone in the organization thought about it. That, that, that freaks me out. Honestly, it's something also something to watch. All right. Well, as Daigle suggested the the Calvin Ridley, Injury leads us into our first rankings outlier because the guy who will be throwing to him this year, Matt Ryan, is 18th in Pat's rankings. Now, Ryan just lost Tulio Jones, gained Kyle Pitts, got a big upgrade in terms of play calling and scheme with Arthur Smith in town. So after all that, Pat, you have Ryan a little lower than consensus, as I said, at 18th. Explain yourself, sir. Well, this is one of those ones where I, I look like a little bit less of a genius than I did before. So he's our QB 15 now by our consensus ranks. So it's not a huge fade, but he was like the QB 12 or 13 before. And I already had him QB 18. I don't know if necessarily with Julio Jones not being there already in mind, but to me, it just boils down to like Matt Ryan, like so much of his case for so many years has been based on volume. And he led the league with 626 attempts last year. He had 616 attempts in 15 games in 2019, just unreal volume. 
where now he's going to be playing without Julio Jones with an offensive coordinator who was 30th and 31st in pass attempts over the past two years. And a lot of that was about having a, a truly special player in Derrick Henry. There's no Derrick Henry in Atlanta. They're going to have to be more than bottom three in passing quite clearly. But I, I just definitely think they could be entering into maybe like the Drew Brees phase of Matt Ryan's career where they're going to work much harder on protecting him, work much harder on like balance in the offense. I mean, even if he doesn't have a Derrick Henry, uh, we know Arthur Smith is going to be more committed to balance than like the past like three or four Stooges who have been uh, the Falcons offensive coordinators since Kyle Shanahan. And just, there's just no way that volume is going to be there for Matt. And even if it was there, it's going to be for guys like Russell Gage and Olamide Zacchaeus. And I, I, I could see Matt Ryan kind of like, maybe not in real life, but falling off that fantasy cliff this year where he's just not, he's not a set and forget starter. And someone where you're even not like super advertised about streaming a lot of the time. I can buy maybe not him being ranked there, but I can understand why you put others ahead of him because the floor and risk is concerning with Ryan this year. Scheduling two, just to have 10 road games, including that week five home game in London, which doesn't count against the Jets, and then an early bye in week six for the longest NFL season ever, seems like a concerning issue, especially after you just lost Julio Jones. As we know, Ryan averaged a 61% completion rate and a yard and a half per attempt fewer without Jones last year. So I can I get why you moved him down your rankings. Uh, Fantasy-wise and real football-wise, Matt Ryan was abysmal without Julio Jones Mm -hmm. uh, last season. And I don't see much reason that that would change this year. Uh, You know, the proliferation of dual-threat quarterbacks makes these, um, you know, pocket-passing statues like Matt Ryan way less valuable, way less appealing in one-quarterback leagues. Well, I guess in in every format, but especially in one quarterback where, you know, streaming is usually a, a more viable option. QB 18. I'm, I'm sad that I don't have him at QB 18 or lower. Honestly, uh, I don't know really what I was thinking there. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm fully on board with the fade, fade Matt Ryan, uh, bandwagon. All right. Next to another one of Pat's ranked players. You won't find me upset with anyone fading the Texans offense, but we have talked about what kind of target share Brandon cooks could have this year. Pat, you have him 39th among wide receivers, do you ever look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, maybe I'm, I am too low on Brandon Cooks? Yeah, I mean, I actually do. Uh, he was <laughs> the wide receiver 18 by average half PPR points last year. And, like, it's tough to say with Brandon Cooks because, like, I think probably most weeks he'll probably be a, a top 36 receiver. But, yeah, sometimes you worry about baking in some injuries with Brandon Cooks, even though he doesn't miss that much time. It's just more about the overall offense environment. He's going from one – with one of the league's best quarterbacks was like a pretty good three receiver set last year. Even if you include Randall Cobb, like just a good environment to be a wide receiver like that has disappeared. It's almost certainly not going to be Deshaun Watson. It's a team in full rebuild mode. It's going to be Terod Taylor or Davis Mills. Like the targets are going to be so much lower quality. You'd have to assume the offense is going to be really slowed down. going to be like a really run heavy offense. They signed, you know, two. Uh, I mean, Mark Ingram, I don't know what you, he still should be on an NFL roster, I guess, Mark. They've got three guys who can, like, provide legitimate carries on early downs. It's just very easy to see, like, the, the Texans' offense environment pulling a complete 180. And it's like, why bet on Brandon Cooks? And that's a guy who has always had trouble establishing ceiling, even in, like, 
the best offenses in the NFL, you know, the Saints, the Rams, the Patriots, having trouble establishing ceiling even in those situations. There's just basically zero ceiling with Brandon Cooks in this offense. And honestly, in my next rankings update, I probably will have him higher than wide receiver 39, but he's not going to be getting like any higher than like wide receiver 33, 34. And, and honestly, when I was doing the outliers and picking these players for us, one, we needed to talk about the Texans offense, whatever the hell it's going to be, because we haven't really spent much time and rightfully so in depth on them this year. Also, I had Philip Lindsay because you seem to be higher on Philip Lindsay, too. But I am. Brandon Cooks makes a lot more sense, if only because he does have 100 plus targets. As we know, as a wide receiver, you earn your targets. That's not a fluke at all. And five of his last six seasons and that have come that have come across four different teams. That's actually incredibly impressive. Now, the mm-hmm. challenge, of course, is have you ever tried to earn 100 targets from Davis Mills or Tyrod Taylor? And so we know that I have been galaxy braining every nook and cranny of every large field tournament, the million on underdog, the 200K on FFPC, and the 50K on drafters. And the only time for just one more galaxy braid idea, the only time I draft Brandon Cooks is when I know I'm running it back in a 49er stance with Trey Lance stack because the Texans play the 49ers in week 17 and the 49ers will roll that game and be favored by two and a half scores. Thus, it is a lot of opportunity for Brandon Cooks. That is amazing. That's truly (laughs) next level. I, Um. I have, I'm telling you, I've turned over every nook and cranny. I'm, I'm digging deep here, Denny. I'm, I'm speechless that, I mean, you are looking to week 17. You're looking to Trey Lance starting. You're looking to Brandon Cooks playing in the lost season this is this is good i'm not i'm not knocking any of this this is amazing trey lance uh, plays the falcons titans and texans in weeks 15 through 17 by the way the individual yeah. playoff tournaments i feel like we've covered the end of the season now we could just re- <laughs> we got re- it we don't <laughs> have to work we're done with the year we can right. replay. That's, that's your we, fantasy playoff preview we can head out uh i'll say on phil Lindsay real quick i just think i think it's gonna be a much more run heavy offense and i think he's gonna emerge as the lead runner there i kind of agree with you um but it, it was not a comfortable ranking i think i was like the wide our rb 39 or 40 it wasn't a comfortable rank but i thought it was a necessary rank i will say on cooks i have him i believe at wide receiver 25 so well you ahead do. of where pat has him it, it's I'm offensible not- I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, super comfortable with that. I mean, basically, you know, that's, that's high end wide receiver three, which basically you can describe almost anybody as a high end wide receiver (laughs) three. You can make the case for, for that. Uh, it's all, it it all hinges on volume target volume for me. Uh, huge, uh, downgrade in, in, in quarterback quality and in passing quality for, you know, with Taylor and Mills. I mean, Terod Taylor has been absolutely miserable in his most recent starts in both Cleveland and uh, last year, that one start for the chargers, which I don't think we really, you know, give him enough credit for how bad that was. So <laughs> I I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping that that can be that the, that the volume can compensate for that downgrade. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? 
Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Meanwhile, Danny, you are also high on one Cooper Cup. You have him as your wide receiver 16, coming off a season of 92 catches, 974 yards, three touchdowns. State your case for why you are that high on Cup this season. All right. I have a lot of good stuff on Cup. Here we go. Uh, Cooper Cup is going at the as wide receiver 21, right around uh, where Jamar Chase, uh, Deontay Johnson, Adam Thielen are going, which makes sense. You know, I think uh, he's going after teammate Robert Woods. Uh, so Cup is two years removed. Okay, not 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 ten years removed, but two years removed from being the overall wide receiver four in PPR leagues. Though I will say that with the caveat that that was with a career high uh, ten touchdowns in that season. And, but in 2018, before his season ending injury in week eight, uh, cup was the wide receiver 12 in PPR points per game. So we've seen cup succeed in Sean McVay's system. Like, like we, this is, this was like a very clear thing that was happening last year. There, there was a drop off, uh, in, in his production, just like everybody else in a Jared Goff led miserably boring, uh, Rams offense. Um, but you know, since then they've added obviously Matthew Stafford, which is the biggest, uh, you know, the, the biggest factor here. They've also added a lot of speed at wide receiver, uh, to a group that was otherwise pretty slow. And, and, and the hope we've talked about, uh, I believe a few weeks ago, how, you know, that, that could you know, clear out the middle of the field for, for cup to operate teams, teams were pressing the Rams, uh, last year, especially late last year when they knew you know, Jared Goff was so limited as a passer. They were not nobody who faced LA was afraid of the deep ball. So, you know, Cooper cup had very little room to operate. I think that that, that changes this year. He's had great uh, target shares the past two seasons. Um, and Stafford, uh, we, we, we asked the question uh, at some point on this podcast, uh, has Stafford ever had success with a, with a slot receiver? So I, I looked into it a little bit. Um, Matt Stafford's uh, fourth highest career adjusted yards per attempt was when targeting one Danny Amendola, which was which was shocking. His sixth highest adjusted yards Don't per attempt was when <laughs> oh I see what you did uh, was when t- uh, targeting Golden Tate and Tate for the Zoomers who don't remember this was the wide receiver eleven in 2014 with Stafford throwing him the ball so. I don't think the Cooper Cup is being appropriately drafted. Cup also has 30 red zone targets the past two seasons, which is proof that Sean McFay, that's who he calls plays for and schemes to inside for the inside the red zone for those money targets. Uh, I'm with you as well. Just like Marquise Brown, I've come around on the idea where these offensive a- added boundary speedsters in order to separate and make room for their star players in the middle of the field. And that's why I got higher on Cup in my most recent best ball wide receiver tier update. I actually shoved him and Robert Woods into the second tier 
It's a bulky second tier, of course, so it doesn't mean much. But that says that they could finish inside the top 10 because that's the situation I believe they'll be in this year. There's a, just a few interesting things with this. Where so there was pretty useful data you pulled up on Matthew Stafford in the slot, but he is one of the few quarterbacks in the NFL that still seems actually more comfortable, like playing like traditional like outside football and targeting. Mm-hmm. Like he's not afraid. He doesn't rely on the slot as a crutch, which is of course what happened with Jared Goff and Cooper Cup quite often, especially in the red zone. Um, but like John, the the space is going to be cleared in the middle of the field, and it clearly wasn't just a Jared Goff thing with Cooper Cup. It's also a Sean McVay love affair with Cooper Cup. The only the, the non like chemistry quarterback thing is the guy who had a torn ACL in 2018 had two very like, kind of strange knee injuries in, in the last. He had a persistent case of bursitis and like the whole second half of the season, and then he missed a playoff game with a knee injury that apparently wasn't the bursitis. So just something to keep an eye on with Cooper Cup. But yeah, I mean, it's hard not to be bullish and like a thousand, he should return. I think he's only had 1,000 yard season, but it's kind of if he appears in 17 games, mm-hmm. uh, it's very difficult to see Cooper Cup not reaching 1,000 yards. I hope 17 games. I, I truly hope that he gets over 1,000 at that point. By the way, does anyone, does any one player on this podcast take more, get blasted more indirectly than Jared Goff? It's like you can't talk about a Rams skill player without just throwing a, a little haymaker in Goff's direction. And this true. total bum. But we're yeah. literally picking like Matthew Stafford as a dark horse MVP because of Jared Goff. Right. <laughs> well, Danny, your wide receiver rankings also have a bit of a stunner. You have Chase Claypool coming off a breakout rookie campaign of nearly 900 yards from scrimmage, yeah. 11 total touchdowns as the wide receiver. 45 question mark question mark exclamation point exclamation point uh i don't know what you're talking about we can move on to the next no i'm kidding uh all right all right all right i I actually created a a, i think a viable defense of this ranking okay hear me out before you uh let me go um you know so he's going at wide receiver 28 chase claypool right now he he was as of one month ago going at wide receiver 32 33 range so Wide receiver 45 isn't that far off from that, from, from 32, 33. I just want to put that out there. Um, he was a distant third on his own team in pass routes and targets last year. He had uh, 30% of his targets came at least 20 yards downfield. Obviously, very, very volatile situation there. Uh, he turned his nine deep ball catches into four touchdowns and had a touchdown rate of almost 15 he also scored two goal line uh, touchdowns on on carries on rush rush attempts. Roethlisberger, as we've said many times, was just terrible downfield last year. He was thirty first in downfield passing accuracy, completing twenty three of seventy seven attempts uh, of twenty yards or more. That's that's not great per the per the analytics. Uh, you know the the upside for Claypool, I guess, and the rest of the Pittsburgh receivers is that uh, it wasn't for lack of trying. You know, uh, uh, Ben Roethlisberger was third in downfield attempts this year. I mean, last year. Uh, so I guess he could he could keep he could keep trying. And he says his arm is is stronger this year at thirty nine than it was last year at thirty eight. So it's uh, mm, I'm just I'm just banking on Chase Claypool not doing what he did last year at all with the touchdown score. And maybe, you know what? And and if he is special, if he is a guy who's just constantly, constantly posting a touchdown rate of 12, 13, 14, 15%, I'm going to be spectacularly wrong. I'm going to be 20, 20 to 25 spots too low. So 
last year was the toughest season ever for fantasy for a variety of reasons. A lot to do with the short-term IR, COVID list, and all the splits that are going to get lost in the wayside as we move along. For instance, like taking out those three weather games from the Browns, you shouldn't count those when doing Browns players metrics. Um, Remember the Calvin Ridley week three game, I believe, against the Packers who was injured and he laid an egg in the box score. He shouldn't have been on the field. I don't like to count those for his splits. And Chase Claypool essentially being benched from week 12 on because Mike Tomlin before the playoffs came out and said he believes in the rookie wall is one that's definitely going to get lost in the shovel. Uh, He played from that point on um, 62% of the team snaps averaging only a 16% target share. So I'm assuming he's going to be a full-time player this year, especially now that we know Judas Smith-Schuster is going to get moved to the boundary. And remember that Claypool also had that usage, concerted usage, I should say, inside the 10-yard line um, with six targets and three carries in that range. So I just assume he's a full-time player, and thus his ability alone with that usage could even see him exceed Deontay Johnson on fewer targets. I mean, he was just... To be that kind of a downfield dominator as a rookie is so difficult and rare. And the, the, the John made the critical point. Like, without this, like, self-imposed benching of their biggest playmaker by the team, he would have soared past 1,000 mm-hmm. yards, probably 1,100 or 1,200 yards. Like, he was basically playing 80% of the snaps in the first half of the season, like you said, and it fell to 60 for quite literally no reason, just, like, intuition <laughs> by Mike Tomlin. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess this is why you have a coach because, like, Mike Tomlin does know things that like we just couldn't possibly know. And his 15 years sort of seen things like understand, but it did not seem to be the right call with Chase Claypool. And the second they brought him back, you know, they let him play more of a full-time role. He like immediately had a hundred yard game and like their must and, and, their, and their week 70 wasn't a must win actually. Um, but like the second they like took the restrictor plate off again, he was like amazing again. And it just didn't seem to be smart coaching and just a totally unnecessary unforced error. And I just I do think he's just a special downfield player, like like it's a true guy who goes up and dominates. And um, and you, you'd have to assume that they're not going to make that mistake again. That he's going to be a seventy five percent to eighty percent player. And uh, wide receiver forty five is quite quite low, Dave. <laughs> You're fired. Uh, it, it's yeah. yeah. Go, <laughs> Go ahead, ahead, Matt. No, I was going to say, it seems like you could deliver the message differently if you're Tom and like maybe just say he looks like he's seen the rookie wall to me. I'm going to dial him back as opposed to, I believe in the concept of the rookie yeah. wall. So therefore, <laughs> I'm going to preemptively dial him back. I pulled up the rookie wall Wikipedia and I just <laughs> thought of something we should do. I'm feeling I'm feeling less good about my ranking after, after John and, and Pat's uh, breakdown. Well, I'm about to have a really bad defense too. So go ahead, Matt. Let's cue us <laughs> yeah, up. Denny, well, I feel the go. same way so, after Brandon Cooks, by the way, Denny. So good, we're, good, we're good. all going to get our turn here. <laughs> All right. This is the point of this exercise, clearly. So, Dayglas, we take a look at some of your rankings. A couple wide discrepancies just within our immediate group here, and it starts with Trey Lance. You have him as the QB 13. Our colleague, Mr. Carter, has him at QB 30, 13 and 30. So, Daigle, make the case for Trey Lance, fringe QB 1 in 2021. Then he's fired, by the way. The, cl- <laughs> the clear discrepancy here, like, it's it's actually blatantly obvious that I think he's starting, Denny does not. Um, perhaps sits behind Garoppolo, in fact, for Denny's case, the entire year. But also, I'm wrong because if he is starting the entire year, 
why would I rank possibly Michael Vick at QB 13? That doesn't make any sense. So if you're going all in, it's like DFS. If you're playing to win, you have to play to win. You have to set yourself up to win if you win. And a lot of people just dip their toes. That's not how you win. So why would I not plug him in at QB 7 or 8 and just call my shot? So this it's a bad ranking, honestly. <laughs> Terrible ranking. Um, I do think there's a chance he's still starting the full year. And honestly – since they do have that week six buy, maybe it is the Miami blueprint where no matter what happens, even if they're just a median team, they throw Lance in for the rest of the year and prep him for that first month of the season. And then we know even with 10 starts under his belt, he can finish the top 10 quarterback because if it all hits, he offers that kind of upside. Having said that also, if he's not starting, especially in a redraft, because this is our rankings, these are our magazine and online draft guide rankings that we have just finished, then you wouldn't draft him anyways in a redraft because that just to be a bench quarterback. So that's stupid too. So I'm wrong. I either need to move him up or down. I'm not sure which way just yet. You know, I don't, it's weird. I, I don't think you're entirely wrong because I, I, it's not going to be 17 games in the bench. Uh, it's not, it might not be 17. I, I feel like it, it is kind of appropriate to hedge because we don't truly, it's like a hedge on not knowing how many it's games a hedge, actually yeah. can start. And it, sometimes it's totally hedging gets a bad name, but uh, it's an appropriate hedge because we just the guy has played one game in two years and it was against Central Arkansas. And they say they thought he was the smartest quarterback prospect in the class. But even if you're the smartest quarterback prospect in the class, there's only so much you can do in one offseason. He might just not be ready. And it could be even if he's a special prospect, say they do throw him into the fire. It could be one of those situations where if like a supporting cast, you know, like where all the touches are supposed to be manufactured, like he just doesn't have good passing numbers and they're going to be weeks where he doesn't score rushing touchdowns. And it's like a huge fantasy dud. So it's just, it's, it's a tough, so the, the upside is very apparent and the same is true of the downside. Uh, just a reminder that we are not NBC sports hedge. You took and my I, joke. <laughs> Damn it. I, I knew someone else was thinking of it. Yeah. All right. And I didn't hedge. I didn't hedge. I said, no, he's not playing much this year. And, and so, and, and that, did that, not hedge and, and he that, didn't get owned. Yes. And that, right, never owned. But that, that's the, the conundrum, John, that, that, that I faced as well. Like, if I really thought that he was going to start and play all or almost all of the season, then you have to put him inside the top 10. But if, if you think that they're going to, you know, make sure he's ready and, and, you know, maybe Garoppolo can return to some sort of form and the defense can improve and all that stuff, you know, and they could take that Mahomes, Alex Smith sort of model. And I, I, that's getting tired, I know. But, uh, you know, then then we're talking, you know, why receive? I mean, I saw, I'm sorry, I ranked my quarterback 30. So it was either 30 or 10. I went with 30. The Mahomes Smith model, by the way, it's funny because it actually kind of works for Garoppolo and Lance, even the jerseys. But right. uh, meanwhile, <laughs> we look at Bears OTAs and everything coming out of it is that Justin Fields is throwing the most beautiful deep yes. balls everyone has ever seen in that organization. <laughs> I was just going to say, kind of following on what Pat said about your ranking of Lance, I mean, it seems to me that by putting him 13th, you're basically saying, this is where I'm willing to, you know, the, the, I like the 12 guys before him enough that it, it's probably more about the guys ahead of him, really, than than it is anything else. Right. And it's almost like a season-ending ranking. Where do mm-hmm. I think he, because if he's the Q, if he's the QB 32, 33 or whatever through the first six games, uh, and then he tacks on with points, but that's not proactive that's reactive so i need to i need to take a stand for everybody i mean season ending that is usually the way to do it like at the end of the year this guy will have been the qb 13 like we can't predict how it'll happen but that's just that he's gonna be the qb 13 at the end of the year i don't know i i see your point though too though like if you have belief in the player uh have belief in the player 
I also just, think I've been just drafting too many best ball tournaments, and I need to right. yeah. readjust everything. Probably is true. All right, our last player to hit here, number 27, overall real-life draft pick Rashad Bateman went to the Ravens. I think we all like the player, but as he arrives into this Ravens passing game, we have a pretty big range again in where he's ranked among this group. Daigle, you have him 71st among wide receivers. Pat has him at 41. So, Daigle, first let's go to you. Tell us why you're low on Bateman compared to Pat and maybe many others. I pretty much just went into the draft, especially night one, thinking that whomever the Ravens drafted, two first-round picks, of course, from 27 and 31, um, whoever, whatever receiver they nabbed was going to be the sacrificial lamb for everyone else to succeed, uh, except mm-hmm. Kadarius Tony, of course. And Bateman, the situation is obviously worse, and I hate moving down talented players despite the situation, but we know that the Ravens have been bottom two and targets to the wide receiver position the past two years, and I don't understand how that changes. Like I said, I believe it opens up for Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, who also I almost put on Denny's list because he's really low on him, um, is is yeah. also going to still hone in targets in the final year of his contract. So I am just assuming that Bateman cannot deliver as a rookie and won't get concerted effort targets that we like to see, as we mentioned from Claypool, for instance, earlier. To me, it's just a ranking of like, I think he's going to be the number one receiver for the Ravens and wide receiver 41 by average points was just about where Marquise Brown uh, was last year, at least in half PPR leagues. And it's just such a season of frustration for Marquise Brown like that. He he was like, almost sometimes you can almost see that, like Lamar Jackson, the coaching staff, like visibly frustrated with him. Like mm-hmm. it was the soft, it was a sophomore year where you weren't seeing like small steps forward. You were seeing small steps backward. And then having that frustration, you know, kind of confirmed, uh, obviously, by using a first-round pick on a wide receiver. And a guy who, Rashad Bateman, has a lot of experience both inside and outside and could just maybe be, like, the long-lost, like, missing piece for this offense, someone to finally unlock the passing game potential. Not, not that they didn't unlock the passing game potential of the year. Lamar Jackson won the MVP. But, I mean, surely part of the reason they've had so few receiver targets, too, is because the receiver core has just been so bad. Like, when you're having, like, this – three-headed monster rushing attack are you really going to force targets to Willie Sneed like just mm-hmm. for the sake of it and I, I just think I think Rashad Bateman will be the Ravens number one receiver this year and that they're kind of just like throwing up their hands on Marquise Brown and maybe it's exciting he's best utilized as a role player and uh I, just, I really like Rashad Bateman's like versatility the fact he had like like pretty extensive experience both inside and out he's just a very fascinating player to me I uh I know it's, it's super uh, trite to say, um, love the player, hate the landing spot. Pete Overzet makes that joke all the time, and <laughs> and uh, you know it's, but it's it's true. It matters. It matters a lot here. Uh, last year, Ravens receivers had the fewest receptions in the NFL as a as a group, 137. Just to give you an idea, the Bills led the Bills receivers led the league with 312 uh receptions so that you know a little bit of a drop off there there's also there's also this i i wrote a piece on you know rushing quarterbacks and their target distributions it's all up on the site this week and lamar jackson uh over his first two seasons as baltimore starter has targeted wide receivers at a 49 percent clip which is way below the league average does that change now that he has you know bateman wallace brown now that the wide receiver group has improved objectively, 
it probably does. It probably goes from 49% to, to some other, you know, some slightly higher probably percentage, but that's still not, still not enough, you know, to, to make, I don't think to make any of those receivers in Baltimore, a reliable fantasy option week to week. All right. Before we get out of here, anything to mention on the site, including the aforementioned online draft guide and magazine is now a good time to mention that Pat. It is. I I don't know what day it comes out, but near the end of June, beginning of July, we're going to have a fabulous draft guide. Uh, but on newsstands, probably in July, if on newsstands, we have a physical magazine still. Uh, you know, that can't be updated, but it's still going to be a great baseline information. But then online, obviously, all summer, we're going to be updating content, adding content. Uh, it's going to be great. Many are saying it's the best draft guide ever. People you know, are and, saying and, uh, that and, it is the best draft guide ever. Um, I have my aforementioned piece on mobile quarterbacks and their target distribution. Uh, check it out on the site. And also next week, we are beginning our fantasy team preview series. So is that next day, week? Where's next week, John? <laughs> Good uh, God. Uh, check your email. Uh, <laughs> best ball tiers on the site right now. Also, Friday, this Friday only, the best ball happy hour, 6 p.m. Eastern draft, is being kicked to 10 p.m. Eastern. For the East Coast dads, literally the East Coast dads yelled at me and told me to move it back. So this one week, this one week, they just, they put their kids to bed early and want it to be later so they can join in. So it's one week, Denny, one week only, 10 p.m. Eastern and Evan Silva, Rich Rebar, Ian Harditz. Too many personalities, honestly, for one room, but we're going to do our best. What time are these people putting their kids to bed? What is going on? Here? Hold on. The I East actually, Coast dads, I don't know. I will I'm an East Coast dad. What's going on? I'm here? like one of those parents where I'm like, people are like, why do you have to start? Like my friends are like, well, why can't you be there before nine? I'm like, because I got to put my kids. They, people just like think because the, the kids go to bed early. Like the parent, like, sorry, it has to be at 430. The draft. <laughs> um, no, like to me, it's like, I got to get these kids to sleep. And then I come over and play FIFA. Okay. Um, but yeah, you got to give me some time. Uh, you push it too late, I'm going to be asleep. That's so, right. I'm going to have to take a nap. You got to be careful. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you find your podcast. Take a moment to rate and review us as well. Thanks to all of you for listening on the podcast and watching live on YouTube. Daigle, Pat, Denny, thanks to all of you. Watch out for those cicada showers, everyone, and enjoy your weekend. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.